Well, good morning and welcome again to one of our Powell View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell View Christian Church, and it's a pleasure to have you tuning in and listening to our series in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're on our fourth week here, and uh, you're always encouraged to go back and uh, listen to any of the podcast uh, episodes that you might have missed. Um, what I do here on the podcast is exactly what we talk about on Sunday mornings, so it's just as much more of an intimate setting when I can just talk with you and not just have to take the audio from Sunday. Anyways, uh, so uh, here I'm going to open with a dumb question, silly question. Um, have you ever been tempted? Have you ever been tempted? Now, why is that a dumb question? Well, because here's something that you can take to the bank. Uh, if you're a human you will be tempted, right? Temptation is part of our humanity. It's, it's what we inherited in our sinful nature. But you can also bank on the fact that for those who trust in Jesus, those who follow Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus, God is in the business of changing us, right? God wants to change us. He wants to chip away at the sinful nature that we were born with. And, and he wants to recreate us uh, through this process called sanctification as the Spirit of God moves in our life and, and uh, makes us more like Jesus. See, we sing just as I am in church because God accepts us for who we are. Sins and warts and ugliness and selfishness and sinful nature and all of that kind of stuff. God accepts us just as I am, Right? But his plan was never to leave me just as I am, okay? He wants, to, he wants to do something in my life that's pretty miraculous. Now, it comes from him. It comes from him. The fruit that produce, is produced in my life is really called the fruit of the Spirit. It, it comes from his power. Jesus said that he was the vine and his followers were going to be the branches. And, and if, let's say you had a vineyard that produced a really high-quality vintage of wine, you, you know that you can't just cut a branch off of a vine from that vineyard and take that branch home and then expect anything to grow from it. You can't have fruit from a branch that the branch is not connected to the vine, right? And that's exactly what Jesus says in John fifteen four. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither, he says, can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, which tells me that the power to produce the fruit comes from him, Right? comes from his spirit living inside of me. But that doesn't mean that I'm not part of the process. Now, last week we talked about the, the preparation that is required for the Holy Spirit to do uh, his producing, right? Uh, our hearts have soil that must be prepared before that produce comes to fruition. And, and so there, there's a lot of different uh, illustrations in Scripture about, you know, keeping in step with the Spirit or surrendering uh, our, our will to the Lord's or, you know, uh, putting to, get, to death the old man. And, and, and the preparation sometimes is very public, we saw last week. Uh, repentance and baptism, although they are truly heart issues, those are things that... Uh, can be witnessed by other people. They, they are to be public, to, to repent, to change uh, one's pathway, and, and then to be baptized. Those are all things that can be witnessed by other people. Those are public preparations. But here's the question. What, what about all of the stuff that's still inside of us that keep tripping us up, the things that uh, easily entangle us, the sin that so easily entangles, as, as uh, the Bible tells us? Uh, there are things in our heart that nobody can see, but they're still a mess and I would think that they need preparation too. So how do you deal with private preparation? 
Well, that's what we want to look at in this uh, message. Because as a saved and a forgiven person, you know, I should also be very concerned about being a changed person. And I need to know what I need to do on the inside so that God can bring about that change in my life. And, and that requires something that we don't like, and that's called discipline. I know people don't like discipline. Uh, for many of us, self-discipline is the hardest thing to do because ultimately we have to provide our own accountability, and that's very hard. Uh, so we get into trouble. Temptation comes, we, we don't resist, we can't resist, we're too vulnerable, we've not built up any kind of muscles to make mature decisions. Speaking of maturity, about nine years ago or so, we had started a men's study in a nearby town, and a group of us, we were talking about men's issues and being men of God, and we came to the understanding that maturity, being a man and not just a little kid or a teenager or a boy, to be a man... Uh, maturity can be defined as the ability to say no to something that we really want to say yes to, okay? And, and I had always thought that was really good because there are areas in my life that I can say no to, and um, I find actually that the temptation over time actually diminishes because I've been able to say no to, and, and I want to say no to, Right? But if you would ever see what I look like, I'm, I'm a, a bit overweight. I think I'm about, still about 50 pounds overweight. So you can see that there are areas of my life, especially when it comes to my, uh, my weight, my, my health, uh, it's, it's proven to be a little bit more difficult to say no to certain things like pizza and uh, donuts and candy bars, right? Be- because that's what my body, my flesh craves. It wants, and, and I can't say no. That I'm, I'm not mature in those areas. So that's what maturity is. So how does that apply to spiritual maturity? Well, uh, private preparation that we've, we see in the Bible, especially here in Luke chapter 4, um, is, is this discipline that we go through to help us get ready. Um, it's like a fireman who go through a drill, and they do drills every day, uh, and they go through those drills like clockwork. And why do they do drills? Because one day they're going to have to do the real thing. And they want it to have disciplined themselves so well that they are able to, to stand up, stand firm when it, when it comes to going out and fighting a fire, right? Well, if I want God to do the things inside of me to make me better, to make me more like Jesus, then I have to do some private preparation. Uh, and, and that is I need to start to grow uh, deeper more mature in my spiritual life. You see, I, I know what the Bible says about sin, but I also know that, that Jesus spoke true when he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and for some of us, it's a, it's a little bit flabby. So in order to build my spiritual muscles, I need to have spiritual discipline. And, and that's why I think passage today that we're going to look at is so good. Um, We're in Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to just read you from the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, and it's going to be the first 12 verses. He says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. So if you then will worship me, I, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, uh, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, there it is. I guess that's actually through verse 13. Now, there's been a lot of sermons that I've heard from this passage that have to do with talking about the nature of temptation. But I've got a, a sneaking suspicion that uh, you probably already know about the nature of temptation. I don't think I have to convince you about the, the different kinds of temptation. I, I bet you you know. Um, you know what areas of your life that, that you are tempted in. Now, those sermons are good because they wisely point out that the temptations here in, in this passage in the, that Jesus had to face in the wilderness are the same temptations that we have to deal with in our life. A temptation to fall to the lust of the flesh, you know, uh, giving in to what my body craves. Uh, or the temptation to fall to the lust of the eyes, you know, the, the, this desire to, to gain and possess something of beauty, something that uh, is uh, very appealing. And then, of course, the temptation to fall to the pride of life, you know, making myself uh, lord of my life, center of the universe. You know, it's all about me. Now, I do want to say a couple things about the nature of temptation before we actually look at how Jesus dealt with these temptations. And the first thing that I want to say is this. In every situation where you're tempted, there's a desire that you have, okay? The desire is not the sin. Neither, by the way, is the temptation a sin. But, but the desire isn't even the temptation. God gave you desires. God gave us all desires. And all of these desires that Jesus uh, is being tempted uh, through, uh, all of those desires are God-given. Uh, there's this uh, desire for satisfying a hunger in our flesh. There's a desire to have things that can be appreciated for their beauty and their, their appeal. There, there is a desire to have your life count for something, right? And, and God gave you those desires. They're not bad at all. Uh, they, they come to us naturally. They are part of who we are as God created us as mankind. So the, the desires are not bad, what is bad is how we choose to fulfill those desires. You see, God gave us these desires, and then he gave us good things so that we might be satisfied with the things that God gives us. For example, <clears throat> for example, the desire for sexual intimacy, that was a God-given desire, right? That did not come from the devil. That God created us, and he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, well, that means that there is a sexual uh, a desire for sexual intimacy, right? And it comes from God, and it's a good gift. Uh, and so then God says, and I'm now giving you another good gift to help fulfill that desire, and that good gift is marriage, right? So if you fulfill the desire for sexual intimacy through, uh, through marriage, we, uh, we have received from God the good things that will fill that desire, but, but watch this, okay? 
the enemy then will present us an alternative to fulfill that desire, doesn't he? You know, instead of finding fulfillment in sexual intimacy and marriage, Satan will present all sorts of sexual encounters that are not uh, in the confines of marriage. And they're all wrapped up in shiny, pretty, glittery paper, right, packaging. But in the end, they, they never bring the kind of satisfaction that God had planned for us. Or, or for another example, the desire to feed my hunger in my body, you know, uh, to, to put food into my body because I'm hungry. That is a God-given desire, Right? But then he says, now I want to nourish you with the, the things that are good for your body, who, that will keep you healthy, that will give you the strength and the energy to do the things that I want you to do. But then Satan comes in and presents an opportunity to say, you know, you, you want stuff. Your, your body's hungry, so eat this. Well, but that's not healthy. Uh, but it's fast and convenient. Um, or it gives me, because I live in America and, and we have a, a surplus of food, he gives me the opportunity to eat way too much, right? To, to, to make me gluttonous. And then to spend way too much money on the things that make me gluttonous. Wow. See, these desires aren't bad. But those desires always will open the door for the enemy to come and tempt me with an alternative. An easy alternative. It's, it's like when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son in his old age, and it was the son of promise. It was the son, Isaac. Well, Abraham didn't understand that, and there was an alternative. Uh, Sarah, who could not have babies, and she was well advanced in age, she had a servant gal named Hagar, and, and she said, well, why don't you just have a son with uh, my maidservant, Hagar, and we can just uh, call that good. Like, that's maybe what God wanted us to do. And Abraham didn't argue at all. He goes, okay. And uh, Ishmael was born through the bond servant woman, uh, Hagar. So here's Abraham being promised a child, a child of promise that would come from Sarah, and he, he takes this easy argument, and he gets an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. See, the, 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 uh, the answers, the alternative might bring about a, a quick fix or a quick pleasure even, but that lasts momentarily. Um, and, and it doesn't allow you to have the true fulfillment that God actually has designed for us to, to, to have. I, I hope that's making sense to you. The desire's not bad, but uh, taking Satan's alternative, the, the, the shortcut, if you will, that will always end up uh, as a rotten choice. So that, that's, that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing is, is you've you got to know this. Satan is very good at what he does. He's been doing this thing for thousands of years, right? Um, why, why should he change? The way that he tempted Jesus is the way he's going to tempt us. He's sneaky. He's subtle. Here we see some of his tactics. In verse 3, he's, he's trying to make Jesus, who is the Son of God, doubt the truth of God, right? He says, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Well, now wait a second. What do you mean if? There's no question in Jesus' mind as to who he is. Well, but that doesn't stop the enemy uh, trying to do what he had done to Adam and Eve successfully in the Garden of Eden, trying to get Jesus to question the reliability of God's Word. You know, I, I think that sometimes we sin simply because we, we doubt that God's Word is actually relevant or reliable in our life. You know, uh, we, we say, well, I know that the Bible says this, but I 
think this, or this is my situation. God, God doesn't know my situation. Anytime you say, I know that the Bible says this, but whatever comes after that word, but will show that you really don't trust the truth of God's word. In, in verses six and seven, the devil tries to get Jesus to take an easier path than what God had designed for him to take. Because in the end, Jesus knew what God's plan was. He knew that all kingdoms were going to be put under his authority. But he also knew that God's pathway to that end goal was, uh, was, was a dark path that would go to a cross where he would be uh, tortured and he would suffer a painful death. And so the, Satan says, wouldn't it be so much easier? Wouldn't it be way less painful to just take this shortcut, to redeem mankind by just bowing before me? I'll, I'll give you all of mankind. I'll give it to you, says Satan. But just go ahead and, and, uh, and bow before me. It, it's not going to cost you much. It's not going to cost you your life. Well, yes, it will cost a lot. It costs your allegiance and your love and your worship and your devotion to the only true God, the only God with ultimate power and authority, all for a cheap knockoff that's going to break after a short while of playing with it, right? How often do we sin simply because we weren't willing to wait for God uh, or, or we didn't want to go through the, the process that seemed inconvenienced at, at best and downright painful at the worst? So we take the easy way out. We step off the narrow path because that wider path, that wider highway sure seems a whole lot easier. And then in verses 9 through 11, the devil tries to get Jesus to <clears throat> grab the glory for himself. I mean, you know, if Jesus would publicly call on angels to come and rescue him, right there in Jerusalem where everybody can see, right there at the temple, right? Man, that would be impressive. And everybody would bask in your glory, the, the problem was is that Jesus was not on the earth to glorify himself. He was on the earth to glorify the Father. And he said that he would wait for the Father in the Father's own time, in the Father's own manner, to glorify himself, the Son. Which, by the way, the glory to the, of the Son was seen in the obedience to the will of the Father. But if Jesus had given in to this temptation... He would have said, I'm going to glorify myself and not my Father. And that pride, that prideful action would have robbed God of the glory. Man, God, it's so easy to see how God feels about the sin of pride. In, in the Bible, we see pride punished more often than anything else. Quoting uh, Proverbs from the Old Testament, First um, Peter 5, 5, Peter says, All of you, clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And so the enemy loves to trip us up by uh, feeding into our ego so that when we act out in pride, the God that was supposed to love us and uh, have a relationship with us now opposes us and Satan wins. So that's how the devil works. And if, if that's how he works, then there's got to be a way to discipline ourselves uh, to move into a spiritual maturity to say, no, that's what Jesus did. How did he do it? Now, some of you might think, well, uh, I know how Jesus did it. He was Jesus, right? You know, he's the son of God. Uh, somehow you think that the, the, the cards were stacked in his favor. And so, yes, it's easy for him to do it. Uh, he was divine. And he's got an advantage that I don't have. 
Well, let, let me tell you this. Most scholars believe that this event is actually included in the gospel to show us that the cards were not stacked in his favor. That this event is recorded so that we can see for ourselves the truth as we read in Hebrews chapter 4 where we are told that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect been tempted as we are and yet without sin. See the theology of God putting on flesh and dwelling among us, the theology of the incarnation shows us that Jesus does understand. He does know what you're dealing with. And how he dealt with temptation is available actually to you as well. Just like it was available to him. Because yes, Jesus was God. Fully God. But in Philippians chapter 2, we are told that as he came to earth, Jesus chose to empty himself of the divine privileges so that he could be like one of us. Fully human. And so, what was available to him is available to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God is faithful. He will not let you be, tempt, be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, it's not like Jesus had an unfair advantage. Jesus was able to do this as a human, and we are able to do it. God says we can. See, God allows us to be tempted. In fact, you know, this is one of the things that just kind of uh, blew my mind as I was studying for this uh, message. It's crazy to me to read that it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit that led Jesus into the, the wilderness to be tempted. You, you would have thought that, no, God would, would lead Jesus far away from temptation. No. No, this was actually God's will that he would be tempted. Why? Well, see, God knows our limits, and he's not going to allow us to undergo temptations that we cannot uh, withstand. Okay? But he allows these things into our life as a way to strengthen. He'll use them as a way to strengthen our resolve, to solidify our commitment, to put to death that sinful nature, to, to become spiritually mature, building ourselves up with our spiritual muscles so that we can stand firm when the devil comes at us. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Because your enemy, the devil, does prowl around like a roaring lion. But resist him. Guys, if that was not possible for humans to do, Peter would not have commanded us to do that. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. How do we do that? How can we, like a, a spiritual vaccination, if you will, build up an immunity to the tactics of the tempter? How can we resist? Two things. Just two things today. First of all, it says Jesus walked by the Spirit. He walked by the Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about what it means to walk by the Spirit. Uh, in the New Living Translation, I, I love it, uh, it says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, self-ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
Let me tell you again, says Paul, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. So since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Isn't that a great passage? Since we are living by the Spirit, we need to follow the Spirit's leading, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus allowed the Spirit to guide him. And by the way, who knows where he's going to lead us? And in fact, if you look at this story, at least when I looked at this story, the wilderness sure seemed to be a very odd place for the Spirit to lead Jesus. And yet it was there that Jesus was able to strengthen himself and to experience victory over the temptations of the devil. But there was a trust that Jesus had to have in the Spirit. There was a sense that whatever the Spirit led him, God was going to empower him to accomplish what he was called to do. And so Jesus could trust because he was walking by the Spirit. He could trust that wherever he was being led, it was going to be for God's glory. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that when God directs or when God nudges or sometimes when God shouts, go back and help that guy or don't pick that bottle up or you need to get rid of that relationship that that no matter what it might seem to cost, we have trusted the Spirit well enough and trust him that he knows the path well enough that we are willing to follow, to let him lead us. Walking by the Spirit will produce then the fruit in our life that God wants to develop in us. And as we see that fruit being produced, it's going to give us even more trust in the process because God is faithful. And what he produces in us is good. And as we see more and more good happening in us, the more and more we can trust him. Because we need to trust that whatever he brings to us or whatever he brings us to, as his kiddos and to his kingdom, because it's really ultimately his kingdom and his eternity and his, um, his will and his lifestyle that's going to win out. Secondly, secondly, Jesus knew God's word. This is, as a pastor, this is one of those things that I just wish people would get. Because in every single temptation here, Jesus said something. He says, it is written. That means Jesus used scripture to help fight against the temptation. Hey, Jesus, you're hungry. Make these stones into bread. Mm, No, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down to me. Mm -mm, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hey, Jesus, you know, it's also written that God's going to protect you. So why don't you go and and, um, uh, test him? Why don't you uh, impress the people by throwing yourself off the temple and see if God really means what he says? And Jesus says, yes, but it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. It is written. The power of God's word, rightly understood, by the way, because Satan will take the the word of God and twist it around. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. That's what he tried to do here, right? But the power of the word of God in our life, uh, rightly understood, 
and understood and, and known, you know, memorized. It's going to be a powerful ally to combat the, the temptations that we need to fight against. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, because it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. He's the one to whom we are accountable. You think God doesn't know the temptations that you're in? You use His Word, and He's going he's to show you what you need to, to remember, the promise that you need to recall, so that in that moment, you can bring up the right kind of weapon against that temptation. See, it is so important for Jesus to know God's word there in the wilderness. And in times that we may not even see where God is guiding us because our wilderness experience is, is dark or we feel like we're, we're lost, we can always gain strength in those times by remembering what God has promised to us in the past because God is faithful. And if God promises those things, that even if we can't see our way, we can be uh, relying on those promises to be true. See, if Jesus had to rely on God's Word to stand against the temptations, why do you think you can uh, stand against temptations without knowing His Word? About biblical illiteracy. So if you're struggling in knowing why you're not growing as a Christian, might it be because you're not spending time listening to God? That's really what it means to be in God's Word. It's Him speaking to us. You know, we spend time praying and most of us, when we spend time praying, we are actually asking for things. We want God to do things for us. But do we ever really truly listen to him and let him ask us to do things for him and his kingdom? See, spending time in his word, getting to know it inside and out, that's going to sharpen your understanding of God's will. It's going to bring power to your life. It's going to allow you to not trip up over the times that Satan takes the, the word of God and tries to twist it. Because Satan and his minions do that all the time. They, they will beat you in a battle of Scripture if you don't know Scripture. Satan proves here how well he knows Scripture. But he also shows how well he can manipulate it to, say, to make it say whatever he wants it to say. Folks, if you're not absolutely sure of what this Bible says, then you will falter every time anybody comes at you with, well, you know that the Bible says this, da 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 and then they twist it to, to say something different, something against God's character, something against the rest of the Bible, and then, then using that, they outright dismiss uh, faith in God and, 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 and trust in, in His Word, you know? If we don't know what God says about something, we're going to default to our own understanding or somebody else's understanding. And there's something in Scripture that says, I don't know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And guess what? He's going to make your path straight. You know, I, right now, I, I see a lot of people on social media who are so antagonistic towards God that they use His words and they twist them to mean what they think it means just so that they can just outright reject it. See, the Word of God does not have to be secretive. The, the, the power lies in the blatant truth. It's not veiled like some mysterious secret kept under wraps. It, we need to know the Bible so well that its light will help those who, who Satan has blinded, blinded, that they can see what is real. 
And so it must mean that we live our lives in a way that we know what those scriptures say. We trust in what those scriptures say. And we are determined to know it as well as we can so that we can have confidence in our decision to follow the Spirit's leading. I, I wanted to end with one cool little story, true story. Manfred von Richthofen, that was the Red Baron, German World War I fighter pilot. He was very infamous. Well, he was famous, and he was also infamous. Um, see, the Red Baron shot down more enemy combat planes in World War I than anybody else on either side of that war. His tally would soar to an, an unimaginable 80 planes shot down. But on April 21st, 1918, Richthofen began chasing this Canadian plane. The, the plane was trying to escape the battle over Moreland uh, Court Ridge. But as the, the Red Baron pursued uh, the Canadian plane behind Allied lines, he let down his guard. He drove too far, and he missed another Canadian plane that had come up on, on his tail. Um, so whether the shot came from the ground or from the Canadian airplane behind him, neither the Red Baron nor we will ever know that. But what we will know, what we do know, is that at the end of Red Baron came because he made the mistake of pursuing the Allied aircraft. Um, as one report so succinctly put it, he followed that aircraft too long, too far, and too low into enemy territory. You know, you, you see these uh, pictures, these uh, you know, um, film clips of crashes, airplane crashes. Um, is that what you desire for your relationship with God, to end up in smoke because you went too long and too far and too low into enemy territory? It's said that sin will always take you farther than you want to go and keep you there longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Flying behind enemy lines too far, too long, and too low took down an aviation legend. That should be a warning for us when it comes to this casual way that often we approach temptation. Folks, we need to be prepared. We need to prepare our lives for what God wants to do. And it needs to be a public preparation, but it also needs to be a private preparation. Private preparation for the work of God, that's what we see here in, in this temptation account of, of Jesus so let's be people who strive to walk by the Spirit like Jesus was, being led by God no matter where He wants us to go, commanded by God to do whatever He wants us to do, empowered by God so that we are strengthened by His Spirit. And then let us be people who know the Word of God, who will not starve ourselves of the nourishment that comes from God's Word so that we will remember what God does, who God is, and what God has promised to do. All right, that's, uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. It's uh, good for you to uh, be here listening to us. I wanted to thank, again, uh, Lisa Welly, our executive producer, who gets these things up on, and uh, running onto uh, our podcast uh, um, places. Uh, for Steve Pittman, who is uh, one of our elders here, who just does an amazing job with all of our audio and visual stuff, and uh, just make sure that uh, everything is ready to roll. Uh, we are online um, every Sunday. Uh, we live stream our services at 8.30 and 10.30 and 11.30, and you can always um, uh, follow us there and uh, watch us online if you want to see what you know I look like. You can be watching uh, our, our live stream. Just go to YouTube. And, and put in Powell Butte, P-O-W-E-L-L-B-U-T-T-E, -L -L -E, Powell Butte Christian Church, and uh, you can watch us that. You can also uh, watch 
um, the previous Sunday service uh, typically on our website as well. So anyways, uh, ho- hopefully you have some victory um, over the your heart with sin, and that uh, maybe one day you will be able to come and, and talk to us and say, yeah, you know what, I, I am finding victory because I, I have privately uh, prepared for what God wants to do in my life. God, God bless you. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next week.